Salam and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe. I hope Ramadan is going well for everyone. Um, before we get underway with this podcast, I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this podcast. It, it was uh, it, it was it was a long one, but it was it was a, a fascinating uh, wine white what's the word I'm looking for wide ranging um, and like winding conversation. Um, and and there was just so much in there, and and and, and Sheikh Jawad, our guest, was uh, phenomenal as always. Um, but before we get onto the podcast itself, um, for those of you who are listening and our regular listeners, and even people who have just kind of stumbled across the Muslim vibe, we would very much appreciate your support. Um, we have a page on our website; it's themuslimvibe.com forward slash support. Uh, even a small amount, ten pounds a month. Um, could go such a long way in terms of being able to facilitate us creating more content um, growing our team and and just doing so much so so please do um, consider supporting us for you know all of our content is obviously free to consume but any amount but but obviously there is a there is a cost associated with producing the content so any amount can um, really go a long way in, in in helping us to to grow and sustain ourselves um so please do consider that but yeah coming back to the the podcast itself and um, we're joined once again by sheikh jawad shumali who was on a couple of months ago i think um and he's back uh, he's finally agreed i've been trying to get him on for quite some time um but he's he's always said funnily enough that he wants to uh, deliver his 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 best to um the muslim vibe um and to the audience so he's kind of said no um for that reason because his head hasn't been in the right place but alhamdulillah we've we've caught him at a good time um the last conversation we had i've just pulled up on my phone was in january it was episode 77 um and the title was how to have honest faith um well worth listening to he kind of draws on some of his own personal experiences and stories and 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 his own relationship with faith and and coming to that journey Um, but on this podcast we're talking about uh self-awareness self-knowledge um and then also how we use that as a as an understanding um, and and a springboard to to bring about change and to change our habits. We kind of compare and contrast uh, psychological behavioral science stuff and in in books that are out. And we talk about the power of habit, which is a book that I'm reading right now. Um, and then how Islamic spiritual uh, tradition kind of. Uh, talks to us about understanding our habits and our negative traits and how we address them and ultimately how we find uh god it's um as i mentioned a bit of a long conversation but it was absolutely fascinating um and i i once again loved every second of it um and i hope you guys will, will also benefit and enjoy it um without further ado here's my conversation with sheikh jawad so salam sheikh Alaikum salam. How are you there, Salim? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for, for joining us again on the podcast. Um, I mentioned to you just before, and I, and I think it's worth mentioning for our for our listeners as well, that I was looking yesterday, and the, and the previous episode that we recorded together is the second most listened to TMV podcast, um, which is which is quite something. So uh, thank you, congratulations. I don't know. Uh, th- yeah, thank you. Thank you for being a, a guest the first time around and for agreeing to come on again. <laughs> But we've also Thanks. had a, a lot of feedback um, on the podcast episode, um, emails that have come in and messages, and it seems to have really kind of resonated with people. So no pressure this time around. 
<laughs> alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. I'm so happy to hear that that um, we managed to connect to the amazing viewers and the listeners. I hope, inshallah, we can um, have another good episode again this time. Hopefully, inshallah. Um, so uh, this time, uh, the the situation is slightly different. We're obviously sitting um, remotely, and. Yeah. We, we've been speaking for a while now, for a couple of weeks, in fact, maybe even months about doing another podcast and, and you've been umming and eyeing a little bit and, and you know, you said that you weren't in the right kind of headspace. But then yeah. the last couple of days when I suggested, again, let's do something in the month of Ramadan, you were you were quite keen, quite on it. And there was a particular post of yours on Instagram, um, which I'm going to read out. Um, and I thought it would be worth um, starting with that and asking you to kind of talk a little bit about that and then we can kind of move on from there. Sure. Um, but you basically said, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you said um, being alone is not the same as spending time with yourself. You may end up spending time with your thoughts and your thoughts are not you. Even months of being alone with your thoughts may not lead to self-knowledge. Um, and then you quote the Quran and, and various other bits. So, okay, yeah. firstly, that quote is from yourself, right? It's not like a Rumi quote that you've ripped off. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. At least not consciously. No, it's from me. <laughs> yeah. Can you can you elaborate a little bit more about that? And like, wh yeah, where the origin of of that kind of post comes from in your own head? Yeah, I think the the main problem that we have um, now and now it's you know it's become even worse in these days that we're all at home and we're trying to spend some quality me time every now and then. Mm. is that we don't really know who we are so we don't know what is it or who is it that we should be alone with and usually if a person for example goes to their room and tries to sit down on a chair or lie down on a bed close their eyes and try to think be with themselves what they will experience is that a lot of thoughts will come to their mind and they, it seems like we're having an, you know, a conversation with ourselves. You know, we're listening to the thoughts. You know, like imagine you're sitting down and you're like, all right, huh? so this is what's happened, huh? Like, okay, I'm here. Like, it's been the lockdown. We don't know how more. You know, like it's a conversation going on in our head. Yeah. And, and we feel like, well, it's just me here. So this must be what, you know, me time is. This is I'm spending time with myself. The problem is that we don't know where is the source of these thoughts. And so we identify with them. So, okay, this is me. Um, however, uh, what I was trying to say in that post is that we need to learn where do these thoughts come from. And then that would help us understand whether we want to identify with this part or is there a deeper part of us that we need to connect to, which is beyond thoughts. And it's that. Uh, which they mean when they say you have to have self-knowledge. So, so I, I don't want to interrupt you here, but I, I do want to yeah. jump in for a second because yeah. I, I'm, I think the natural thing for people to do is to associate themselves with their inner thoughts. So you know that like that soundtrack that you've got going on in your head? Um, mm -hmm. Like uh -huh. you said, when you're sitting and you're thinking, whatever, you've yeah. just said something that for some people, including myself to an extent, is a little bit shocking. Yeah. that we are not just our thoughts if that's not that that voice in our head is not us yeah um and, and you're alluding to kind of a deeper existence beyond that which is um I, i've got to say a little bit daunting because the assumption from there is that we haven't necessarily even connected or understood who we are at our essence because we haven't even tapped into that 
level of conversation with ourselves am i am i getting lost or does that exactly. make sense exactly you know exactly and it's very shocking but it's also very promising you know the shocking thing is that you may realize oh what so you're telling me that the person i thought i am I was, and I was basing my decisions on these thoughts, everything. So you're saying that that wasn't all of me. And I think that is true. And hopefully, maybe throughout this episode, I'll try to convince uh, the listeners of what Start I'm trying to say. Start with convincing me because I'm not sold yet. <laughs> Perfect. That's even better. <laughs> So see, it, it, I think the best way we can start and go about this is to look at what, what is the source of these thoughts, right? What happens when suddenly we get these thoughts? And then we'll see how random sometimes they can be and how they're often triggered by things which are not in our power, right? So imagine uh, we're doing this podcast, right? So the thoughts which are coming to your mind right now probably have to do with this setting okay i hope the recording's done one i hope for example by the end of it the audio doesn't have a problem so we have to tell sheikh javad that we're sorry the podcast you know all these thoughts which are relevant to the setting you are in right now right or for me as well well i hope there's no issue i hope my battery phone doesn't die now imagine if we were a different room right we would have totally different thoughts imagine if you were right now for example with your family like, okay, I hope we're going to have a good family time, right? So the setting you are in affects the kind of thoughts that you have, right? Now, can you say that you would have been a different person if you were outside? It's the same person. What happens around you changes the thoughts you have, which means that you can have a totally different thoughts, but be the same person, right? At least parts of your thoughts. It, it is completely based on where you are, what you're doing. You could be in a different room, having different thoughts, talking to a different person, right? So in a way, we can say that at least this part is based on what's happening around us, right? Yeah. So, so we don't need to hold on to them that dearly and say, these are my dear thoughts, you know? Well, you're, you're in this situation, these thoughts are coming. And so sometimes external factors, like who we're talking to, where we are, are the reason that thoughts come to our mind, right? And of course, we can say that, yes, but these are my thoughts about this environment. And to some extent, that is true, right? But I'm saying that you can't own everything about the thought. Of course, it's going through the filter of you, but the fact that it even came, you didn't start the thought, right? If you actually sit down one day when you're alone and try to see where do thoughts come, right? You realize that they come into your consciousness without you initiating it. And then the question is, okay, where are they coming from, right? So I think that's the first step to, to start slowly, slowly understanding that maybe we're not fully in charge of the thoughts. Can, can I uh, add on to that? So by extension of, of the logic that you've just put out, that our thoughts dictated by our surroundings... I think some arguably, yeah. so, some of them, I think arguably yeah. at the same time, our actions are also dictated by our surroundings. So for example, if you put someone who's susceptible to peer pressure into a situation where people are smoking, he mm -hmm. might take up the habit and it's not because he is a smoker, like at yeah. his essence, but it's because yeah. he's influenced by his surroundings. So it comes back to, to the initial point, which is like, who, who the hell are we? Uh, exactly. if, we're, if we're not our actions and we're not our thoughts. Yeah. Um, then, then, and, and, and I think the reason that we wanted to also have this conversation is because 
um, we're in a state cu- currently of self-isolation where people are not living their lives in a normal way. They're not going to work. They're not interacting. And and what's happened is that I feel like there's elements of existential crises that are developing in people's heads yeah. simply by virtue of the fact that they no longer have the noise around them of of the world. Mm-hmm. And so and, and so like, you know, a, a lot of us have sunk into a routine um, and and again, then I'm thinking to myself, am I just my routine? Like, is this my life? Yeah. Is my life just me, you know, mm. working, spending time with my family, watching TV, going to sleep? Um, and it, I guess it, 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 the repercussions of that manifest themselves differently in different people. Some people yeah. just kind of turn off that side of their brain and be like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to sink into my routine and, and enjoy just being. Yeah. Um, but it's it's thrown up a lot of, thoughts in people's heads i think um so i guess the next question is how how do we how do we <laughs> sounds so weird but how do we discover ourselves uh, yeah, yeah. At, at our essence yeah um yeah of course and and i think you mentioned a very important point because you know because i was just talking about it at the level of thoughts but you said that this can even impact our actions which is completely true right mm. So not only we thought thoughts, which are not completely ours, but we then act upon that, right? And those behaviors in some ways really affect our life. You must have heard this example. I mean, or as a father, you may even had experience of this. Like sometimes you're trying to uh, feed your child, right? And just because some food is there, you might put some of it in your mouth, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this example was in the book we were discussing yesterday. Right now, imagine in that case, right, just because um, happening to be next to some food, right, you yeah. take it and so, so, so these thoughts which come from the external world may even affect the way we act. Now, you're correct. Now, because a lot of us are in this um, situation where we have to spend a lot of time home, so a lot of these external factors are now removed. Of course, external factors, anything which is out of our mind. So it could even be, you know, just like a person sitting next to us or family, whoever. But still, it's very much limited. Like we're not going to see our colleagues that much or at all. We're not going to the cafe. So what happens is that the other part, which I said is another source of what is becoming more and more loud because there's no competing voice with it. And that is the inner part of us which can communicate with us through thoughts. Now, this may seem a little bit crazy, but it's it's nothing crazy at all. It's very obvious to if you think about it, right? Usually, I try to start talking about it by the example of a perfume, right? Imagine you're somewhere and you um, you sense a perfume, and suddenly it takes you back 15 years ago to a memory you had, for example, with your cousin, or I don't know, someone you read, a friend. And I always say this memory, where was it all this time, right? It was such an important thing for you. It was a close friend or a cousin that you were really close to at childhood. 15 years of your life, it, was, it made no difference in your, you know, in your, um, as, as much as you were aware of it. A perfume suddenly comes and this memory comes back to you, right? Now, where was that memory all those 15 years ago? And it seems like where that was, there are other things as well. So there are parts of our life, memories, or for example, things which we are insecure about, our insecurities, right? Things which we were hurt about. 
there's a part of us which all of these are there, but usually in our day-to-day life, we may not remember them, right? They may not come to our, you know, conscious level. So these will affect us. And as I said, sometimes something outside triggers and they come out. Like, for example, the perfume that brought the memory back from 15 years ago, or sometimes with insecurities as well. Something outside, you could be at home watching a TV show, right? There's a character which has probably a physical feature you didn't want and you're insecure about. Immediately, that insecurity that I had, for example, comes out. It triggers, yeah. It's triggered. And how does that communicate with me through thoughts or emotions? So these are another source of thought, right? So let's say I'm watching, I'm seeing this TV series, there's a character which has something I'm insecure about, suddenly all these thoughts come into my mind, right? Oh, you should have taken the weight loss more seriously, right? Or for example, you shouldn't have done this. You should have, or, or sometimes it could even be emotions, right? This is not even a good series anymore, right? I, so I may not even be aware what's happening. Why am I not liking this anymore? I just feel bad about the series, right? What I don't know is that this has triggered an insecurity inside me, right? Mm. So... So these insecurities, these past memories, these things that we push down uh, could also be another source of thoughts. And this is why I said in that post that being alone, sometimes all you're doing is you're talking, you're listening to these thoughts, which basically means you're alone with your insecurities, with your stresses, with your fears. Yeah. And, and that's the worst part of yourself to be alone with, right? I think like reflecting on on my own experience the last few weeks I feel like I've had a heightened awareness of my of my thoughts because mm-hmm. because because of the 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 less noise around us but yeah. at the same time I feel I don't want to say helpless but more incapable of dealing with them does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Because yes, yes. I, I feel like, you know, we, we okay, I, I know what I'm thinking now and I'm able to process it because I have the time and I have the mental space to do that. But yeah. then it's like, okay, I'm thinking X, Y, Z. Now, mm-hmm. now how, what are we supposed to do with that? Do you know what I mean? There's like, yeah. it, it's, it's, as you said, I, I think we have the awareness that we have bad traits or habits or, or behaviors or whatever it might be, or even thoughts generally. Yeah. Um, and, and acknowledging and, and understanding that is kind of one is, is almost the first step, but yeah. then how do we, I guess, implement uh, change? And that's yeah. the difficulty. And, and you alluded to the book that we discussed. Maybe we'll get onto that in a bit. Yeah. Um, the book was the power of habit by, I wrote down his name cause I always forget it. Chris Duhigg. Duhigg, any idea yes, on Duhigg. pronunciation? Yeah. Duhigg. Yes, yes, um, yeah. and 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 that book has been really interesting as well. So I, I've recently started listening to that, and I think we can we can talk about habits because I think I feel like a big part of this beyond thoughts and actions and whatever else is actually moving into looking at our habits and and like just before we, I mean, we'll, we'll come back to talking about change and everything else. But one thing I just wanted to say right now, I wanted to state right now is that so many of our actions are just habitual actions um, which we mindlessly undertake. So if, yeah. if you if you think about the fact that like for myself, especially after iftar, I have to have something sweet. Like mm-hmm. I have to have a chocolate or an ice cream or whatever. And it's I'm not even thinking about it. And I'm walking over to the freezer opening and, and pulling out a, a Snickers. Um, yeah. 
uh, ice cream bar. I, I'm 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 fasting right now, so I'm already like salivating just at the thought. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's but it's so interesting when you when you suddenly start analyzing your day and even the most like simple things like waking up, picking up your phone, and going through your messages. Like yeah. trying to break a habit like that. And we've had someone on the podcast in the past that's talked about breaking habits and spending the first half an hour of your day not on technology, not on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was like, oh, that's actually a really good idea. I really like that. But I, I couldn't implement it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and again, like I feel like we lack the tools for change. Yeah. Um, so do you have any advice or thoughts before we get on to kind of talking about habits? But yeah. just generally, once we've had an understanding of things, what do we do with that? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, the main thing that we need is that understanding. Like if we know how, uh, how, how the thoughts work, how the habits work, what are these deep systems behind them that create these patterns and don't allow us to change them? I think the main thing that can help us is, is to learn, to learn about it. How is it working? How, how was it, you know, uh, put there in the first place? So that's why I think if it's okay, let's, if we talk a little bit more about this, then we can get to the change part. But by the time okay. we get to the change part, we know how it's done. And, and it, it like a very good understanding would help us in implementing the change because we know what is it exactly we're going after. Mm-hmm. So I just want to take us back to where you, what you said earlier that you said now thoughts are becoming, you, know, you feel you have a heightened awareness of your thoughts. And the issue is, okay, how do you deal with them then, right? And I think this is, you know, one of the reasons that this could happen for some of us is that in other days we had, you know, the, the, we had learned a system of how to deal with our thoughts, which wasn't exactly the best, which was we would distract ourselves from our thoughts or naturally it would happen for us, right? So we pushed them away. but even then it wouldn't let us go so usually we would have for example if we had a stressful day if there was this push uh, this thought that we pushed away it would come back to us when we're trying to sleep because then there was no more distractions unless we were super tired like some people that's how they sleep they make sure their body is so tired that as soon as they put their head on the pillow they're gone right they're like ah thoughts i won but for a lot of people, the thoughts that they've been pushing away during the day come back to them at night because I said anything you push down, it, it communicates with you. It won't go anywhere. So now what's happened is that the whole day seems to be the time that we put our head on the bed because the, the thought just has this time. There's nothing to distract us from it. So it's like we're just spending so much time with them alone and they have more time to uh, catch up with us. But the issue is, you know, some um, some people say, and, and I think it's just such an amazing idea, that if you try to solve thoughts by thoughts, it's as if, for example, there's a ripple on a swimming pool, like there's someone throw a stone and there's a small ripple, and now you want to jump in the swimming pool to make sure the water settles, the ripple is gone, Right. They, they say when you engage with thoughts, you can't settle it down. You just give it more energy. The ripples become more and more. So if we want to make sure we, um, we can deal with these thoughts, we can calm them down, we need to learn something deeper than you know, combating them with thoughts. And, um, and I think that's why I said it's so important to learn to disengage, disidentify from thoughts. Yeah. And um, 
And it's only sometimes by disengaging from them that we can finally stop them, right? But not pushing them away, right? So there, is, so there are so many ways to deal with the food. You can, you can engage with it. For example, it says, oh my God, this deadline is approaching and you're really stressed about it. You can, you, you're trying to talk yourself out of this, right? Talk to your mm-hmm. thoughts. Well, I've done this. It's going to be okay. Well, the more you talk to it, the stronger it becomes. You may push it. Yeah. I was going to say, if I can just jump in the way, the way that I see it based on what you're discussing and tell me if I'm yeah. right or not. You know, like, I, so I always have this issue on my clothes yeah. where, you know, when there's like a little thread that's hanging out. Yeah and, yeah, and either you pull it, and when you pull it, you know it's just going to keep going, and then all of a sudden your clothes are going to be ruined, <laughs> yeah. or you leave it. And for me, when I leave it, it just bugs me to no end until I have to pull it. Um, yes, and and I feel at least the way that I look at thoughts is exactly the same. Either I have thoughts and I just suppress them, and like you know, what? I don't want to deal with that right now. Yeah, but it's always still there. Yeah, or yeah. I I deal with it, and you just get deeper and deeper in, and you get more lost in the thoughts. Yeah. And, is and is that of, an adequate metaphor? That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And, and by the end of it, you're stuck with a long thread and no shirt, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's beautiful. And the problem is that, you know, we weren't taught uh, the third option, right? Which is how to just be okay with that thing being there, Right without feeling the need to either pull it or without allowing it to really mess up your mind. Oh, why is it there? Why is it there? Right? The mm. third option was just to learn to be okay with that. Right? And, and this is perhaps the most important thing we can learn in our life. And I would even suggest that this is why fasting was um, recommended in the first place. Right? The way we deal with fasting usually unfortunately is we push down right hunger comes like we push it down dude four hours left the left arm i'll see you at i don't know 8 30 and i'll give you that sneakers bar that you're asking for right so pushing down and this way it doesn't do much for us because it just strengthens this habit of pushing down suppressing which we were already masters at right so that's why we have so many hadiths in the Islamic literature. I'd say a lot of people fast, but the only gain they have is a few hours of hunger. No spiritual gain whatsoever. Because yeah. if all we're doing is suppress it, push it down, so that a few hours we can address it, it doesn't really help us learn anything. But initially, I think what it was meant to do was to learn us experience hunger, Right? And start to be okay with the uncomfortable um, energy that hunger creates in us, right? So hunger would come. Now what happens? As soon as hunger comes, I'm like, I'm hungry, right? Immediately we identify with the hunger. I'm hungry. And I either have to eat while I'm fasting. I can't, so I'll push it down. You know what? I'll see in four hours. Go down. So we are so shocked by the presence of hunger that we need to push it down right away. Whereas what we could do instead was, you know, and expect this and be okay with it, right? So the next time, for example, hunger would come, we try to see, okay, how does hunger feel? All right, so this hunger, okay, it's a sensation in my stomach or thirst. Oh, thirst is this feeling I have in my throat, you know? You just sit with it slowly, slowly, and you try to look at it with from a distance, not allowing it to, you know, color your whole experience of life 
but you you know you distance yourself a little bit from your hunger and like okay so this is what hunger is hunger is a little bit of sensations in my stomach and in my throat and it seems like i can actually sit with it yeah it's uncomfortable and it's very interesting because if anyone really has paid attention to hunger or any other thing, they see that it comes out of nowhere. It seems like it's coming out of nowhere, right? Like you're having your day, suddenly you're hungry, right? Mm. And it's so interesting to just sit and observe this. Oh, hunger came, right? I have this feeling in my stomach. I have this thing. You know, my throat is dry. Thirst came. And also it's sending thoughts to me. Like it's saying, oh, I want this food. You know, all these thoughts again, I said, it's not me. This is my hunger talking to me, right? As soon as hunger comes, thoughts come as well. Oh, how lovely it would be to have that food. How lovely, you know, lovely it would be to have a, a, a cup of coffee. So mm. you see, oh my God, this thing came. It's sending thoughts. It's sending feelings. And it's very interesting. As you observe it, you'll see that it will go on its own. And I'm sure many people have had this experience without maybe paying attention to it, that they're hungry and half an hour later, they're not. So I think fasting was there to help us sit with an uncomfortable experience without feeling the need to either express it or suppress it. Just experience it. Let it use all its energy so you don't have to push it down. And if you deal with your hunger like this, then at the time of iftar, there's nothing suppressed, nothing pushed down. So you don't need to, you know, like destroy the fridge. No, you can simply eat as much as you want. And hunger, of course, for some people, if hunger has become an addiction for them, like overeating issues they have, it may not be an easy thing to start with. But for many people, hunger and thirst are things they can start with to learn to sit with uncomfortable experiences. And this can help on later on, you know, to help with insecurities, with fears, with thoughts about something that don't go away, to just sit with them. You know, and and not feel the need to either, you know, deal with them, as you said, like uh, pull the thread or, or just let it just mess up your mind. Oh, why is this there? So, um, yeah. So I think that's even what fasting was there for. That's, uh, that's really beautiful. Um, I, I, I never I never thought of it like that. And I think I think this is obviously why I wanted to have this conversation with you just to, to get some kind of insight like I. I think for me personally, one thing that I've observed when it comes to, to fasting specifically is that before I used to have to eat my iftar straight away at Maghrib time and then I would pray afterwards and it would be a sluggish and awful salah that I'd be praying. Um, yeah. And then I don't know when exactly, but at some point a few years ago, iftar time kind of kicked in and there's been, I think maybe it was a few times like I was on the road and I wasn't yet home, you know, like you, you go to drop something off to someone's house and then you don't make it back in time. And I was like, right, so I'm, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I can, I can legally break my fast, but yeah. I don't have any food or water. Um, yeah. And I could have either stopped off at a service station or just waited 15 minutes till I got home. Yeah. And when you kind of wait that 15 minutes, you're like, right, like, like you're saying, right, you can actually live with the hunger and the thirst. And exactly. I see it like it's, it's 10 more minutes, it's 15 more minutes before I'm done praying and whatever. Yeah. I, I, I can survive. And then likewise, when mm. I sit down on the table, it's not about attacking and jumping in and, and, and whatever, but like you eat. And as you say, yeah. you eat to your, to your contentment, but it's and, and like, Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm generally quite okay when it comes to the, the hunger and thirst of fasting. I get really tired. Um, yeah. and my, my body clock is all over the place in, in the holy month, but that's mm. a, a kind of separate issue. Maybe we can do another yeah. podcast on how to, how to sleep better. <laughs> um in Ramadan <laughs> but um 
Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. But then to to compare that or, or to say that, that these are the kind of tools that we can use to live with the discomfort of um, of life, essentially, yeah. um, is, is something quite, uh, quite interesting. Yes, yeah. And you know what? And, and you know, I often say, I think we did discuss this in the first podcast we did, idea that a lot of religion, we need to le- relearn it, right? Mm. I just feel like there's so much beauty and power there in religion but only if it's done right, if it's taught in the right way, right? And so, yeah, and fasting is another experience of that, which within it can carry the deepest teaching, psychological and spiritual teaching. But uh, unfortunately, it goes, um, you know, ignored in a lot of cases. And, you know, it's very interesting what you said as well. Sometimes, for example, uh, before we think that right after I've thought I have to eat, but then situations come where you don't eat for a while and you see I'm okay with it, right? Similar thing happened to me. I had a, a live lecture right after iftar. So I only had time to do my maghrib. And then we had this live Zoom event and it went on for an hour and a half. No problem whatsoever, right? I didn't even feel it. And it's so nice to have these experiences to remind ourselves that the reason we thought we couldn't do it is not that we're incapable. No, it's no, you cannot put anything in your mouth. It's not hard. It's that sometimes these thoughts take over, right? You have to eat. You have to eat. You cannot eat. You have to eat. And often it's the thought which uh, which makes us feel like we're incapable. But if I was something happens, yeah. we, we, so, sorry, but we, we 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 limit ourselves based on our thoughts. Exactly. And we don't realize the true extent of what we can. I mean, we have it here in the UK where we have such a diversity in terms of times of fasting. So mm-hmm. last year was, was you know, longer fast than this year. Yeah. So if I could fast last year, obviously I can manage this year. But somehow, yeah. even when it's like we're fasting till 5 p.m., we're still struggling yeah, at yeah, 4 yeah. p.m. And like we're crawling over the line. It doesn't make any sense. But that's yeah. because... Our thoughts are limiting us, right? Exactly. That's another way that we know our thoughts are not us. Exactly. You know, whenever the end of the fasting is, our thoughts pretend as if that's the limit of our ability, right? If yeah. if Star was at five, our thoughts would tell us you can only go till five. And I'm, uh, I don't know if you've discussed this, but you must have, I think, discussed it at some point on your podcast. You know that there is this David Hoggins book, and he talks about, if I'm mentioning his name correctly, and there he talks about this idea that usually people stop at the 40% of their ability, right? Now, of course, he's looking at it from, I think, a physical point of view. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, like, for example, when you want to do a push-up or sit-ups, he yeah. says usually what stops us is, is the emotions and the thoughts. It's not that we're at the limit of our ability, right? He says at the point where a person stops, that's 40% of what they could have done. And the interesting thing is you can actually observe how thoughts stop you and emotions, right? Like, for example, if you wanted to do 40, from 35, you see these thoughts coming and this feeling. But if you said, I want to do, for example, 30, it would have have come maybe at 26 or 20. So we can see how these thoughts and emotions are actually taking over of our life, making us do things, making us not do things. And um, perhaps before talking about how we can go about and change this. This is the bit I'm waiting for, by the way. You're just yeah. teasing me right now. 
No, no, because you know why, Sadi? <laughs> I, I, this is one of my, the beliefs I have that before trying to change something, you need to be really fully convinced, right? Because there's been a lot of times in our life where we, for example, made a decision to change something. And that means that we are to some extent convinced, like we want the change. But if the, for example, we want it, let's say a little bit, then after a while, it's their energy would run out and we'll go back to our bad habits. So it's very good to work. For example, if we have, I don't know, two weeks to change, just one week spending on why do I want to change to, you know, take this conviction deep in our heart and then the next week start changing. So I think it's so important to realize to what extent this can help us, to what extent this would be beneficial for us. And also what would happen if we don't make this change? right? How we're limiting ourselves, how our life would be limited, how we're missing out on so much. So maybe even um, spending most of the time on how it's affecting us and then a little bit on the change would be better. I think so. Um, so just, uh, is it okay if I talk a little bit about how much these things take over our life? Yeah, yeah go for it. I, I just think you're, you're, you're doing that like internet clickbait thing of, of you draw out the bit before for as long as possible and then give like a, a two minute answer at the end. So they have to listen to the whole thing. Um, but no, 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 no. I, I mean, obviously, like you, I think it's, it's beneficial that we follow your logic and thinking on this. Um, so, so please take us, carry us on on the journey. People just want to know how to change and you're just yes. making them suffer more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, honestly, that's not my intention, even though. Um, I would have said I've, I've learned from the best, but I, that's really not my intention. It's, I, I genuinely believe the more it becomes clear, the easier it is to tackle. So, because, you know, I, they, they always say knowledge is, is the best healing power, right? If you know how something is created, you're not confused about it, right? Imagine, for example, a person who doesn't know his or her way around the kitchen and on a phone call they have to do okay this is what you should do right turn this thing 50 degrees 90 degrees right it's going to be very difficult to create a change as soon as the first thing goes wrong you don't know what to do but if you've been in the kitchen you know how it works where the things are how the machines work you know you can't even if a problem comes you know how to deal with it so if they just learn if you teach us a technique without us knowing the details of how things work, as soon as something goes wrong, that's it. We don't know what to do. Okay, okay. You sold me. You sold me. <laughs> yeah. you so on. back to the idea of how these thoughts and emotions take over and to what extent they take over our life, we have to know that they can, uh, you know, it's not just in one aspect of our life, for example, with regards to hunger. No, it's so many things, right? If we think about it, like I've lived at around 30 years, people may have lived differently. All these years, 30 years, some people 20, 40 years, there have been things which we have pushed down, right? Maybe in, I don't know, primary school, I was bullied and I couldn't deal with it. I pushed it down, right? So 30 years, 20 years, 15 years worth of on, you know, unsolved trauma or unsolved heartbreaks or being bullied or insecurities, all of these are kept within us, right? They, they haven't gone anywhere. And so imagine we're living with three decades of past personal uh, baggage, and it's not like they have no impact on your No, they 
um, in so many ways control our life through these thoughts that they send to us and through the feelings they create within us, right? So we mentioned one example of it. Like if you're, if a person, for example, is insecure about their height, right? Not that you'd have that problem. You're quite tall yourself. <laughs> well, if a person is insecure about their height and this insecurity is kept in them, they are going to, you know, this, this insecurity is going to be triggered in so many situations, right? They're maybe out with a few friends or they may be watching the movie in the cinema. They were so excited to go to the movies. But as soon as something in the movie triggers them, they immediately feel negative emotion. Right. And so the next time the friends say, let's go to cinema, they already like, nah, I didn't feel good last time. And it's very interesting because the person may not even know what created that negative experience. I think I just don't feel good in cinemas. Right. Because it's not always that we feel, aha, uh-huh, it's this insecurity which created the emotion. Usually we just feel the, the outcome, which is that I feel bad. Right. Or even with people, we're next to a good friend that we really like. And they're talking and suddenly something they say triggers something in us, we feel bad. And slowly, slowly, if we don't know what is the source, we think it's the friend that's making us feel bad. We don't know. It's, something inside me is triggered now. So I have to work on myself. But what we do is we like next time we don't feel that good seeing this friend. So slowly, slowly, we can, you know, um, leave great friends out of our life, great experiences. Why? Because when we felt where, where, when we were there, it triggered something in us and we didn't know what is the source of this negative emotion and we felt it's them. So it can literally take our friends away from us, even our partners, right? For many people, they start a relationship and in the beginning, everything feels great, right? They can listen to each other. They can talk for hours without noticing time passing, right? Why does that happen? Because it just happens that out of all the people in this world, this partner or this friend is in a way that the things they're saying or the way they're talking is not, you know, triggering an insecurity inside me, right? Now, uh, maybe if they started talking about something else, it would have, but now they're not. And then this love is formed, this beautiful feeling is formed. And so we just want to spend time with them. But what happens is that after a few months, Usually a lot of people say, right, there's this um, quote, which I really don't agree with, that unity or being together is the death of love. Why do they say that? Because as soon as people live together after three months, four months, eventually they will say something or do something which would trigger something in me, right? either in security or a past memory, maybe the way they have their teeth, maybe the way they brush their teeth. There would be something that triggers a memory in me of something that I didn't like or an insecurity, right? And I'll start feeling a negative emotion and I feel like, oh, the love is gone because maybe love meant just feeling great, but now I'm feeling negative, so love is gone, right? So it can even take our love away from us, these thoughts and feelings that come. And it's very interesting. If we don't deal with this, it, it can really affect our relationships. And there are so many people who've been, for example, with their partner and they feel like they can't, they, there's nothing there, right? And why is that? Because they kept, you know, their partner maybe said things that triggered something in them. They didn't work with it. They didn't know how to deal with it. So they either became controlling. That is perhaps the root of why some couples become controlling. 
Because instead of working on myself to get rid of my insecurities, I'm like, I, I'm going to change you so that you don't do anything which triggers me, right? Mm. You don't say anything that goes with my insecurities. Maybe I'm insecure. Maybe I'm super sensitive about the way you talk about my parents. Maybe about this. Maybe about my career. So instead of me dealing with that, I'm going to make sure you act in a way that you don't say anything that triggers me. Not you, not your relatives, not your friends. So the person becomes controlling. Or... Another way some people deal with it is they don't become controlling, they become resentful. So the, the negative emotion comes, they're triggered, their insecurity or whatever is triggered. They think the source is the partner, but they don't want to be controlling, but they push it down as something about the partner. So slowly, slowly, a lot of resentment is built. Oh, I'm living with a person with this to me. I'm living with a person with, with this, right? A lot of resentment. And anything you push down will come back. So usually even people who keep resentments, maybe after 10 years, they'll do something crazy or they'll just leave without saying anything, right? So these things can really impact us, right? Even our um, relationships, our marriages, our friendships. And if we don't, we'll, don't deal with them, we, we don't know what's happening. We just find ourselves stopping our friendship with some friends. Uh, we just feel like, okay, I'm in love, and then the love is going, right? So we just feel like, what is happening to my life? We don't know exactly that all of this is run by things inside us. So that's why I said it's super important to know to what extent we are impacted by this. So when we want to change it, then we have more motivation. I, I'm, I'm just waiting now for the change. How? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, maybe maybe it's the fasting but i'm I, i'm i'm really eager to know because as i said like i i think um we can maybe maybe bring in some of the habit related stuff in now and then yeah sure we can, we yeah i think that's out, a... long out before we speak about change right at the end sure. so um so we mentioned the book the power of habit which i've i've recently started listening to yeah um and i i personally found or i, I haven't actually finished it but i found a lot of really interesting things in there um, yeah, so the yeah. first thing I mentioned earlier about how like so many of our actions are just pure habit now. Mm -hmm. And there was another thing about um, the dopamine hit that we get in our body. So they basically break down or, or the author breaks down habits into three separate bits. So you've got cues, routine and reward. So the yeah. cue is whatever triggers you to, to take out a certain action. The routine is the action itself. And the reward is, is whatever feeling you get inside or whatever it might be. Yeah. And based on research that they did initially people are getting a dopamine hit after the reward phase, which is natural. You know, you do something, you feel good. That's your, yeah. your dopamine. As it becomes more habitual, you're, you, they, they're seeing a dopamine spike after the cue and before the routine, which means that you've been triggered to do something and already you're getting that feeling. Yeah. So now it's almost like, okay, well, I, I obviously now have to go through the motions because this, yeah. is, and this is how your brain kind of works. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and it's it's kind of remarkable, and like this book has been really eye opening for me personally, just just yeah. in terms of understanding how habits actually work in our body. And I recommend it. I haven't finished it, as I said, but I recommend people do check it out. Um, I know it's quite a, a, a popular and famous book. If people haven't come across it, um, you can find it pretty much anywhere. And there's also one other bit that I found really fascinating, which was about the different types of cue, um, mm -hmm. and all of the different cues are basically. Um, externally driven so the five types that they have are location time emotional state um, other other people or the last action you undertook mm -hmm. so 
again coming back to the beginning of our conversation yeah if 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 we consider our acts and and let's hear for example talk about sins if we're thinking of ramadan and self-improvement and betterment yeah if we think of our acts as habits things that yeah, we've yeah. become habituated and people always talk about being habituated to sin right yeah um what's interesting is that even then even though they're a part of us as we see it yeah the cues are still all external so it's still all about, for example, being in a particular place or a particular time of day or being with a particular group of friends or yeah. just the fact that you've been doing a series of things that have led you here. Yeah. Which means that actually by... And listen, I, I, I haven't got to the, the change bit of the book either yeah, yet. Yeah. So I'm hoping you'll be able to um, provide a, a robust enough argument. But yeah. um, for us to be able to, to change... Um, what we're doing we need to be able to appreciate and understand our cues and a lot of it comes down to that self-reflection bit right the first half of it which is being alone with ourselves and starting to really dig deep and understand it and again this is why i feel um that there are so many hadith about the importance of reflection and and understanding oneself he who knows himself knows his lord for example is, sure. is a hadith that's out there yeah um I, I say it so flippantly because I don't know the reference. I'm sorry, yeah, the, the hadith exists somewhere. No, it's, it's, it's Yeah. Thank you very much. You <laughs> see, with a bit of Arabic, you make it sound so much more legitimate. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> but, the truth. But, um, but yeah, so... so um, okay, sure. So should we start habits. with maybe the, the, the change the, from a psychological point of view, which the book also talks about how to change habits. Yeah. And then maybe we can even go a level deeper. Because... Um, the you know the technique for habit changing that this book and other books suggest which has proven to be in so many ways um, useful and successful is trying to change a habit and turn it into another habit so what they do is they try to as you said the habit has three levels right so cue routine and reward so what they do is they try to intervene at the level of cue and give the person another another routine that would bring about the same reward the same reward yeah right so for example if they realize that okay this person has a porn addiction or a smoking addiction alcohol addiction and it's very interesting because they say that a lot of the times it's not that the reward they're looking for is the uh, the you know the physical feeling they get for example from the alcohol or from whatever substance is is it maybe the boredom that that was their way of dealing with boredom or with loneliness right so the reward is just not to feel that boredom or not to feel that loneliness yeah and so they realize okay so in this case for the person boredom or loneliness becomes the cue and the reward they're expecting is just not feel that way so they're like, okay, what we need to do is to give this person another routine. So as soon as the cue comes through another routine, they can get the same reward, right? So for example, that's why they say in, um, in some groups who they're trying to um, quit alcohol, you're like, as soon as you felt like the need for it, so the cue came, which is, for example, you wanted to be around people, you wanted that social environment of the pub or just drinking, go to this group meetings we have will give you that sense of social aspect so you're getting the reward and but through a different routine and they say oh, slowly slowly as you try to um, every time the cue happens you go to the second routine slowly slowly this new habit would take over um, 
And so this is the technique they use, and it's very interesting and very good. But the main part of this, the most difficult part of it, is to be able to identify the cues in life, because those are very difficult. Right. So if you, for example, ask a person and, you know, this addiction can be anything for some people can be just going on Twitter. Right. Mm. So if so, the person has to look at their life and try to identify what are the times in my day where I'm triggered or cued to go and use Twitter. And sometimes they have these um, cue um, logs where they write down, for example, during the day, these 10 times, this is when I felt the urge to go on Twitter. For example, this time I felt lonely. This time I, I felt sad. So it can be so many different things that the person is trying to avoid. And it's a little bit difficult to identify these. Um, okay, maybe I just felt stress. I wanted to push the stress away or distract myself from it. So I used Twitter as this, or I used Instagram. So the first step is to just like go through your day and write it. Okay, every time I did this action, what cued it? Was it stress? Was it boredom? What was it? And then you're like, okay, if I can remove, for example, the cue from my life, well, that would be great. So that's why, for example, a lot of people who are trying to go on weight loss plans, they say, well, don't keep these beautiful chocolates in the house because that's an external cue, which you can easily, at least for a while, get rid of till the habit becomes less strong. Right. Or, for example, with uh, with people who have alcohol addictions, they say don't keep alcohol at home. But that's a very important part of it. Mm. So certain cues you can remove, but certain cues you can't, like the feeling of boredom. Right. At least you can't like take your boredom and put it in someone else's house. So you have to have a, a list of it and then slowly, slowly trying to learn how to find substitutes to deal with that. So this is basically, and of course, there's so many details and everyone can, of course, if it's very serious for them, they can always take the help of a therapist that can guide them through. It's the best thing always to seek help from a therapist. And there are psychologists whose expertise is in helping people um, change habits, get rid of the bad habits. And whatever else. Exactly. So that's always the best source because not, these are not easy to deal with on our own. Yeah. The, the, there was actually the, the the part of the book that I'm at right now um, yeah. is talking about um, Alcoholics Anonymous and and the the, the system they have it and, and the story that that he he was just kind of telling of one of the guys was that he had been in and out of AA several times. Um, he would go to a few meetings, you know. Ha he would have all of the replacement routines for the cues, um, yeah. and and what did it for him and what did it for other people as well was actually and this is what i found really interesting and i always find when you read self-help type books and stuff about behavioral science and whatever else there is it's it's almost like they skirt around the topic of god or a higher being without yeah. like fully jumping in and and so what yeah. was really interesting was that for this gentleman in particular after one of the meetings on his like latest attempt at going back to the aa yeah he was asked to help put the chairs away after the session yeah and and it's such a small thing but and it took five minutes to do but he got a good feeling out of um doing something that was not indulging in his own base desires if that makes sense and like being mm -hmm. helpful mm -hmm. and and he just kind of built on that and so this is this is something that the book talks about and i think i i it makes sense to me as well that like when you 
find other rewards so for example and, and you focus on them so for example people looking to lose weight yeah if you weigh yourself regularly and funnily enough so i've got a digital scale and i weigh myself like pretty much daily but one yeah. of the things the app actually says and, and it makes sense now but the app says that people who weigh themselves more than 15 times a day lose more weight than people who weigh themselves less frequently yes yeah. and and what the book then said to me a couple of days ago I'm saying says to me because it was I'm I'm listening to it rather than reading it. Um, I hate the guy's voice, by the way. That on on Amazon, that I I really don't like the guy who's, yeah. who's narrating the book. But anyways, that's the thing. He did so his he, best. Yeah. He, well, I think he, he overdid it at, at times. Anyways, that's a, yeah. that's a separate issue. If you yeah, if you yeah. listen to the book, you'll know. What I mean, he does like yeah. different voices for see, male, female, and adds too I much see. emotion. Yeah. Anyways, um, so what what somebody said was that they found, um, that focusing on the feeling of weighing themselves and seeing that number go down yeah was the kind of impetus they needed to continue weight loss yeah does that make sense yeah. so it's not it, it's it, it's also about finding so yes you were talking about replacements but also focusing on things other than um yeah the yeah. initial act and, and, and exactly. a lot of a lot of it and when they talk about aa they talk about god or a higher power but yeah. they don't really subscribe to it, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, no, um, I, I, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, and I love this as a segue. Um, yeah, so true. Also, what you said with the weight loss, it's very interesting. Just in brackets, you know, they say the reason why weighing yourself helps because that gives you a reward, right? So it, uh, it gives you a reward and it helps you feel the success you've had. And of course, positive emotion comes from going towards goal. So that's great. But the problem is that sometimes weight loss doesn't happen, you know, like every day you wait, you lose weight. Sometimes you lose weight two days and the third day, even you're on a diet, it may be, you know, you may go through a plateau or something. Mm. So one of the psychologists, what he has done is that he was like, okay, we can't tell people don't go on a scale for a week because if they don't go, they won't get reminded. They won't get the reward. So, so many things they lose out. So he's created a weight that doesn't show you your weight. So you go on it and it gives you a positive right, like a green light that you weighed yourself. You remind yourself that you're on a diet, but it doesn't show your weight because if it shows, you make it, for example, disappointed. It's very interesting how, you know, with the science, you can actually help yourself. But what I loved about yourself, sorry, about what you said, and of course, there are so many things I love about yourself, but about <laughs> what you said, yeah. I think the fasting is slowly, slowly taking it, uh, kicking it. We're getting closer to iftar time. So I think yeah. as, as time goes on, we're going to struggle more and more. Yes. <laughs> so this idea that they try, they, they, they don't um, address God or a higher being or these things, anything that has to do uh, with us being more than a machine, more than an animal. Whereas yeah. a lot of the times, this is very important. As you said, for that person in the story you mentioned, he did something by just, I don't know, organizing the room or what he said, and he yeah, felt something chairs. about himself, right? He felt it. And this is very, very important because we need to know we are valuable. We have some worth, right? Before we feel like, okay, this person is, you know, worth spending time and difficulty of changing, right? Because change could be very difficult, especially if addiction has become strong. And if they just, well, you're just another animal, you're just another human being, it doesn't mean much, right? Like, why should I spend time changing this, going through all that difficulty? But as soon as you realize your worth, 
right? This is why in a lot of um, religions, there's so much emphasis on the fact that, oh, hey, human being, you're important. They either say you're created in the image of God or in Islam, they say you're Khalifatullah. They want you to know how important you are because you have to know that you are so important that makes all the difficulty you'll go through to change yourself makes worth it, right? So that's one thing which I think we can go deeper than the psychological discussion, even though it's perfect. The psychological discussion is amazing. But now we can try to go a little bit deeper. That's first thing. Second thing is the idea in, in, in a lot of these, uh, you know, psychological approach to these habit changing is that, okay, there's something about you, which is not nice. Let's change it with something else, right? But first of all, who is deciding what is good, what is bad? And secondly, you haven't taught me how to get rid of habits. You've just taken one habit from me and you've given me another habit. Mm. So a lot of people may actually lose weight, but they become addicted to the gym or to Mm. a certain level of eating. And ultimately, if you look at it, it may not lead to more happiness or a better life, right? Because any addiction can become damaging. And, you, I, and one of the issues I see with a lot of books, which are now becoming very popular, is that the person has managed to fix something in their life. For example, they were overweight. And, and of course, if that was harming their health, that's bad. Otherwise, that's, again, another thing by the society. So they try to get rid of that, but they become addicted on their health. They became addicted to it to the extent that they didn't pay attention to their family. So the person is, says, I'm 14 and I'm divorced. And I, I haven't seen my family. I, I you know, neglected my children. And they were celebrating this person as a success, right? How is that possible is beyond me. Or the person never spent time in it, uh, on his intellectual growth, on his spiritual growth. So from one habit, we took one habit from him, gave him another habit. And say, okay, go and deal with this. Because this does less damage to society. Or I don't know if it even does. But what? The, you know, the spiritual approach to this tries to do is try and see why do habits form in the first place? And secondly, well, you decided to replace this by another habit. Who told you you even want the second one, right? What told you that you like this life to start? Wasn't that another thought? So you basically changed part of your life, which was created by some thoughts, to another thing, which is, again, decided by thoughts. Who even said you want this or this is good for you, right? So now you're stuck getting another habit, which may not be you. Because a lot of people, for example, they may say, you know what? I'll, I'll try to fix it by focusing on my career or on this or on that. Well, who said that's what you want? And one of the most difficult questions is not to say what I want, what I really want. Because usually when I say what I want, is what the thoughts tell me what I want. And the Mm. thoughts are only trying to make sure I don't get triggered, right? So if, for example, I'm secure about talking to my landlord as a person who's renting, my thought would tell me that I want to buy a house. Whereas if I go deep down, I don't need to buy a house. I just need to be okay, deal with the stress of talking to your landlord. And you realize that you didn't need to spend 20 years of your life, you know, 
saving, stressing over, and if I would never be happy if I don't own a house. No. So what you really want is different to what you want. And this is why the spiritual habit, sorry, the spiritual way of changing habits goes deeper. So again, you have to notice the cue like you would do in the psychological way. But now it doesn't tell you that you need to change it with another routine. It tells you, try to experience the cue, right? So go to the moment where you are cued, where you're triggered and sit with that, right? Learn to be okay with that and heal yourself at that level. And with some addictions, it may be very strong because the pattern that we've created after the cue is so strong that we may, be, we may even feel like we don't have free will, even though we do. But it says start from easier places, right? That's the whole reason we spoke about fasting in the beginning, right? It says sit with the cue and learn, grow spiritually and learn how to just sit with it experiencing it without feeling the need either to express it or suppress it, right? Because the whole psychological technique was you have to suppress it, but just suppress it in a less damaging way. So it's still, sorry, express it, express it. Mm. You have to express it, but through a less damaging way, right? So, But this one says, sit with it and learn that in addition to expressing and suppressing, there is another way, just allowing it to be. Right. And it's very interesting because the more you do this, the less stronger it becomes. And slowly, slowly, you see that all these patterns that you had created, slowly, slowly, they lose power. They fade away. Right. And it it may take time, but it works and it works beautifully. Like, for example, with anger. Right. People have managed to heal their anger. It may take them a year, but they have finally done it. Right. Can, can yes. I ask a sorry, sorry, quick question? When, you, sure, when sure. you talk about sitting with whatever it is in that queue, yeah, um, and and healing, it might sound like a weird question, but practically, how how do you do that? Because it's sure. one thing to to sit in that state, but then what are we doing from like a spiritual religious perspective? Are we doing dhikr of Allah? Are we what like how, how you know what I mean? What, what do we do? Sure, sure. So let me say it first in a universal spiritual way yeah because uh, and then i'll link it to islam as well all of this are in islam as well definitely so let's say um we we can either use the example of uh, sexual temptation maybe a person has porn addiction right or anger in either case what i mean by sit with it is that next time that urge either to lash out in anger or act according to your porn addiction comes, you try to see what is happening inside you, right? Because before this, what would happen was that, okay, the urge is coming. It means I want to do this, right? I need to do this. I either need to go on that website or I need to shout at this person and say whatever is in my head, right? So I feel this is me. But slowly, slowly, as you practice, you're like, okay, this is not me. This is happening inside me. This is an urge which has come now. So when I say sit with it, is I mean, first of all, observe what is happening. For example, when you're experiencing this urge, what happened inside you? So you see, okay, certain parts of my body may, for example, if it's, if it's anger, my heart is beating faster, <laughs> right? 
my throat feels a certain way. Certain thoughts are coming to my mind. So the, when I say observe it, it's just experience when you say I'm angry or I need to go and do this thing. What are you actually saying? All you're saying is that I'm having these urges inside my body, these emotions and these thoughts, right? And then you can slowly, slowly talk to yourself, right? So the thoughts would tell you, for example, that you know what? If you don't right now go and watch porn, you'll never be happy. But if you do it, you'll be super happy. It'll be amazing. This is all I need to be happy, right? And you can talk to that thought. First of all, no, that is not you. And talk to it. Okay, well, you're saying I'll be happy. Is that so? Well, last time I did it. Did it make me happy? Well, a little bit, maybe for, maybe for a little while, maybe for a little bit, yeah. But afterwards, I didn't feel happy, right? So you just sit with it, try to communicate with it, and observe what, what is happening inside your body in terms of emotions and feelings. And it's very interesting. By just engaging with it this way, it loses a lot of the energy it has. Because most of its energy and the fact that it makes you do things is to One is the surprise element. You're going on uh, you know, with your light. Suddenly, something, you see a cue. And you know, a lot of the times, we even notice something is a cue because we don't know what triggers it in us. So the cue happened, and you're surprised by being overwhelmed by all of this need to do something. And also, it's very mysterious. Oh, my God. I, I was living my life. Suddenly, now I think the most important thing I have to do is either to get angry or to go on this website or whatever. But by sitting with it, experiencing it, the surprise element is gone. You may, in fact, actually expect it. Oh, you came. Well, you know. And also, it's no longer mysterious anymore. All you are is a few feelings and emotions in my body, and you're sending some thoughts, which I know I'm not myself, right? So the more you practice, especially if we start from things which are easier, right? Like if they haven't become to a very strong addiction we realize that, yeah, we can sit with an uncomfortable experience and let it pass. So that's what I mean by sitting with it. You're just experiencing it as it is. And of course, it may take time. It's not going to be happening in one go. Like, you know, you just gone, oh, sit with it, done. I'm over with anger. You know, it takes time. It may take a year, two years, three years. But slowly, slowly, we can heal ourselves like this. And not just this, we can heal everything else, right? You know how I said insecurities? Or, for example, past memories about being bullied or being hurt. or So all of this, the next time it comes, instead of telling your partner, don't speak that way, or trying to change the external world, go down and try to sit with that. Okay, so the whole reason I got offended was that this small feeling came in my heart or this thought came to my mind. That's all it was. And I thought I would never go to that community again, or I would never go to those friends again. No, I don't need to do any of that. All I need to do is to just let this come out, sit with it, and then as you sit with it, it's done. It, you know, the energy is released, and so you're healed. Now, if we want to link this with God, by the way, are we out of time? No, no, no. I'm, I, I mean, we've gone over an hour, I, but like, I'm enjoying this, so keep going. Okay. So I just think it's nice because it's the Muslim vibe to now link it to Allah a little bit. Yeah. Now, it's very interesting. In, in our um, uh, spiritual teachings, Islamic uh, spiritual heritage, there is this beautiful line I love, is that use um, sins or temptations as an opportunity to remember God. 
It's beautiful, right? Usually we are brought up in a way, because I said our religious teachings, uh, so the way they've taught us about our religion sometimes is very wrong. The way they've taught us about religion is that if you feel yourself doing something wrong, if you catch yourself with temptation, a lot of the times all we feel is shame and guilt, right? So not only we need to deal with the urge of the temptation, we also now have the guilt and the shame. And it's so much to deal with. So what we do is we either suppress or express. We can't just sit with all of these at once. But when you look at our actual religion, the sources, it's so beautiful. There's no shame in right? God always talks to people who are dealing with either sins or problems in a very loving way. Why? Because if you have guilt as well, now you have to, on top of sitting with that temptation or anger, sit with your guilt. And then it it affects your self-worth, everything. So all the things which are totally terrible for a habit change, right? psychologically we said you need to feel your worth something you're more than that so if someone says no you are your sins you're going to get punished you're you're not wanted anymore this is the worst thing you can tell a person but in our literature that's not for example we have this line it says god's custom god's way god's habit is to be nice to those who make mistakes right or in another hadith we have at the moment where you feel a temptation remember god It's very beautiful. Use that as an opportunity, actually. What they're trying to do is they're trying to make you become aware of the cue, right? When it says the moment you feel the temptation, remember God, it tries to tell you that be aware of the cue, catch yourself as soon as the cue happens. And then why does it say remember God? Because it wants you to have more things that you have in your awareness, right? Now imagine I'm dealing with these emotions inside me, right? I'm becoming, for example, tempted to do something. I have to deal with all of this, that oh, I need to do this act. It's so difficult. And before I would feel a lot of shame as well. But now I'm sitting with this temptation, but I remember, oh, wow, you know, I can still have my connection with God, right? Actually, and then you see that slowly, slowly, anytime this happens, you remember God immediately, and that just helps you if you feel that God is forgiving, that God is loving, which God is. We have hadiths that God is actually yearning for the sinners to look towards him. So it's very beautiful that it tries to catch you at the moment of cue to give you energy then. Right? God says, I want to be with you at that moment to help you there, to, to send you love. And so in so many ways, you see that this has been in our tradition, this sitting, sitting with, with temptations as, as, soon as, they, as soon as they arrive. But now I just want to link this to something a little bit more. And then okay, that will be my last one because I don't want to make this so long. This idea, what happens after you slowly, slowly heal yourself? This is maybe the most beautiful part of it, right? Because as I said, now we have so many things inside us which trigger us. Even if it's not a sin, it's still bad. Like I always give this example because it really helps. You're talking to a friend and he says, you know what? I finally called my grandma who has been under lockdown as well. And I feel so good about it. After two weeks, I called grandma. So send some love to her. And your friend is telling you, so what should be your reaction? Oh, be happy for him. Love me. Well done. But let's say you have this guilt inside yourself for not calling your grandma, right? Or your uncle. So he's talking, it triggers the guilt inside you and it sends all these thoughts to your head that, oh, damn it, I didn't call my grandma. 
right? So your friend is looking at you. He's like, I told you something nice about, you know, what I did. And your face is so sad. What's going on, right? You can't enjoy the experience. The discussion with your friend because it triggered the guilt inside you, right? So that's why a lot of the times we get bored when we're talking with our friends because we're not listening to them. We're listening to the voice in our mind. But imagine what would have happened if I had healed my guilt, right? When the guilt came up, I just sat with it, experienced it, didn't suppress it, healed it. He would tell me the good news. I called grandma and I would just feel good for him. There wouldn't be a voice in my head, you know? I didn't need to listen to two things at the same time. No, my there would be no guilt inside me. So no thought would come to my head that you need to call grandma to. So I could just be there for my friend, be happy for him. Now, if you pay attention to a lot of relationships, you see that's exactly what happens. After a while, it becomes so difficult to talk to each other. Like the couples who in the beginning, they could go and talk for hours and hours and hours without noticing the, notice the passing of time. Now she's talking or he's talking and the other one's all talking about work, I mean, thinking, sorry, thinking about work or about this stress. And obviously you can't enjoy this relationship. So if you heal yourself, you realize that you can connect to people like the first day, for example, you met them. Because they say things and there's nothing inside you that will get triggered. You know, you've healed the stress, you've healed the anger, you've healed the guilt, you've healed the shame, you've healed the fear, the insecurity. You're talking and no thought comes to your mind. And all you can give all of your CPU to this person and experience their love, which is, you know, why uh, we have that beautiful poem that says, don't go out and seek for love. Rather, remove the barriers you put in yourself against love, right? Because with all these things I'm keeping inside myself, the insecurities, the guilt, everything, there may be a person standing next to me who loves me so much, but as soon as they say something, part of me gets triggered. I feel insecure. I feel guilt. I feel fear. All right? So the love is coming, but I have within me so many things that are competing with that love so I don't feel it. I feel stressed. I feel insecure. But as soon as I remove these, the person is talking to me, and nothing is coming from inside me, you know, no negative thought, no stress. So I feel their love, right? I receive their love. And another interesting thing with which I want to end, and it links back to the hadith, you mentioned, Man when you slowly, slowly try to go down and heal the insecurities you have, the, the, all of this, the stress, the fears, the, you know, the mo- memories from primary school where you were bullied, when you heal all of this, what happens is very beautiful. You realize that you have a level even deeper than them, right? So, so far we were saying that, my friend, in addition to what you think you are, you also have parts of you which is hidden, where you have some memories, you have insecurities, all of that. But now I'm saying remove those, heal those, and you will see that you have a level even deeper than that, which is what I call the true self, Right? And it's very interesting. Once you heal yourself, once you get connected to yourself, you realize that at that level, you were already connected to God. God is between an individual and his or her heart, right? So we always had this connection with God, right? You're closer to than your juggler way. So at the deepest level, we are already connected to God. It's just that the love and connection coming from God 
in the middle has to go through all these baggages that we have, right? And by the time it reaches us, it, it has changed. It's out, you know, it has changed. So it has been wrapped around so many desires, wrapped around so many insecurities. By the time it comes to us, we don't feel it's God. And this is why in the Quran, one of the, you know, the job description of evil is tazyin, which means that it changes things. It decorates things, right? So the actual energy was coming from God, but by the time it went through our insecurities and fears and addictions, what we felt had no color of God anymore, right? It was wrapped around something else. But when you heal yourself, you realize that within you, you are already connected to God and you're, and it's very beautiful because you feel so much connection. The people who've done this, they say that the way it feels is as if all the things you were looking for in your life, you have them all at once and more. All the love you were seeking, all the happiness you were seeking, you already had that inside you at the ground of your being, at the deepest level of who you are. And this is why they say, man, because the one who knows himself is the one or herself is the one who's healed herself, has gone all the way to this deepest layer. And if you go there, you already feel the connection to God. That's it. Because at the core of who we are, we are connected to God. We're not separate, right? And, and it's very, and so this is why I said it's deeply connected to Islam, all of this. And uh, yeah, that's it. I that um that was incredibly deep and I I don't want to um lighten the mood too much but I I when you were talking I was kind of thinking of the matrix mm. um and you know how neo like when he when he is is the one mm. and and all of a sudden like you know it starts off with him kind of searching for everything and wanting yeah. all the answers and then he, at yeah. the end he's like dodging bullets and whatever else so yeah. to conclude this podcast we can dodge bullets if we take your advice <laughs> Is that is that an apt summary? Do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, I guess. So, I guess. <laughs> is it okay? By the way, is it okay if I just say one more thing? You, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to stop you. I'm happy to carry on talking. You, you, you want to, you want to call it a just day. one more thing because <laughs> this helped me a lot and help has helped a lot of people. And I just want to share it because I wish someone had told me this. You know, it took me 30 years to to learn this. So, you know, the thing is, at the deepest level of who we are, I said we have this connection, right? And you don't need to believe me. Just try it for yourself and see if this happens or not, right? No one needs to take this for granted. It doesn't need to be much. Just do it and see if it happens or not. But what they say is this. So at the core of who we are, we are connected to God. And, and, and that is a source of unconditional um, love, bliss, and connection. And so everything we do in life is to experience that. This is very interesting. This is built in us because we already have that at the core of who we are, right? So the way this core is communicating with us is that, sorry, you have this lost thing, which is there deep inside you. So everything we do in life, we are actually trying to get back to there because what has happened is that we have tasted the sweetness of having this, right? In Quran, for example, it says, Am I not your Lord? Well, maybe the way we can interpret this is that 
we have tasted what it means to receive unconditional love and affection to God. Because we have this at the deepest level of who we are, even right now, right now, very, at this very moment. But what's happened is that this is now veiled, according to Islamic literature, they say it's veiled by all this garbage we have kept inside us. However, the promise is still there that you can at some point be unconditionally happy. But because we don't know how in life, we go on seeking things, right? So I say, if I have this job, if I have, for example, that promotion, if I get married to this beautiful girl or beautiful guy or this smart girl or this smart guy or this or that, I will be fully happy. Why do we think this? Where did this idea that I can be fully happy come from? Because we know this is possible. But the problem is we don't know how this is possible. It's possible by going inside, whereas we keep looking at for it outside. And the challenge is this, that when we desire something, we give it this quality that with this, I would be fully happy. So it becomes ultimate concern. So a person may be addicted, I don't know, to eating or to porn or to alcohol. And when they are experiencing that desire what's going in their subjective experience is that oh this is the most important thing in the world if only i could have this right or when someone's in love with someone and they can't have them so the desire becomes so strong the person almost take the form of a god for them or even alcohol right i really want you and i always ask myself okay i get it buddy or mind you want this but why is this so important to you why is it almost in the form of a God to you? If I don't go on this website, I will die. If I don't marry this person, I will die. And I realized, ah, oh, because we know ultimately that there is something which is like that, which can make us unconditionally happy, unconditionally connected, when life would suddenly feel makes sense, that we would feel enough. And that is God. Right, So we had that, but now we're looking for the examples of it. So things keep becoming God to us. So are you saying that we're looking for that again? We're trying to refine that connection with God? Yeah. And exactly. And because we're looking for that, everything that our mind tells us, this is it, takes the form of God. It's not a desire. To us, it becomes almost as a God, right? And this is why in the Quran says, that have you not seen those who take their desires as their Allah? I think something like this. And this suddenly made so much sense to me why we become so powerless in the face of an addiction. Because we're kind of worshipping it. Sometimes it can be a person or a job or, or whatever, alcohol. Because we're giving the quality of God to it, the quality that we experience with God and we already have it at the deepest level of who we are, and this is why the, I'll finish with this. Alhamdulillah, in the Quran, we have Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. I think last podcast, you were actually like, you said SubhanAllah, now talk about Alhamdulillah. <laughs> <laughs> now you're doing it, thank you. <laughs> so, Alhamdulillah means all the praise is due to God. Well, okay, what does that even mean? It means this, that every time you felt something is beautiful, every time you desired something, you actually are looking for that ultimate source of desire and beauty, which is already inside you because of that connection with God. So that's the only way it can make sense to say, Alhamdulillah.
Because ultimately, the beauty comes from within you. Anything you liked was because it triggered something inside you or it didn't trigger something inside you so God's love could come out, right? So anything I saw and I liked, that feeling of I like it, that beauty wasn't me. Maybe another person would look at it and couldn't see the beauty. The source of all the beauty I saw in the world, the source of all the desires I had was because of the thing which I have at the core of who I am, that connection with God, right? Because another person can look at the same thing and not find it beautiful, right? So all the beauty, all the things you desire were already inside you and from God, from your connection to God. So every time you saw something, alhamdulillah, you have to say that, every beauty I saw in the world was actually reminding me of the beauty I had seen with God. And it's very interesting. We have another line, Ya You are the wish of every person who desires. Every person who ever desires anything is actually looking for God. Why? Because anytime I desire something, what am I doing? I'm trying to change the world so I don't get triggered, so I feel good, right? So ultimately, every desire is there to give me a good feeling. So whatever you're looking for is you're looking for that good feeling. If you want a better car, why? So you feel good. Bet, you know, better job, so you feel good. So everything you're looking for, every desire you have is to feel good. And the source of all the good feelings is inside you, and that's God. So in everything you were looking for, in everything you desired, you were desired to feel good, and that feeling comes as a result of connection with God ultimately. And that's what it means that in everything you seek, you were looking for God, right? Because we wanted that connection that we already have. We're just um, become blind to. And so I think maybe it's a good place you, to you, end. You, you, you've... <laughs> You've kicked this conversation into seventh gear and then said, right, let's call it a day. Um, no, I, I think obviously we, we definitely need to um, get you back on and, and I think continue this conversation because it's, it's, it's fascinating. And I, and I think from my own perspective, just the fact that I was reading or I've been reading this book over the last couple of weeks, um, The Power of Habit, and to then address it and approach it. Because when I'm reading books like this, um, which isn't very often, by the way. Like I don't, I, I, I mean, I'm not like a, a too into these kind of books. But mm. with Ramadan, I thought let me try and yeah. and, and do something a little bit different. Um, but whenever I have read books like this in the past, I'm always trying to fill in the gaps, mm -hmm. the Islamic gaps. That is because mm -hmm. as as we mentioned, right? They they'll only go so far, mm -hmm. and they'll use the science and they'll mm -hmm. use theories and whatever else. But then we have like so much wisdom in our religion. And, and, and I think like I can probably scrap reading the rest of this book and move on because you provided almost like an alternative path with regards to habit realignment or, or just, you know, how we deal with our habits and whatever else, mm. um, which which for me sits a lot better than what they're kind of putting across in the book. I probably will finish the book just out of interest and intrigue. But yeah. I, I think from always from an Islamic perspective, it's important and refreshing to try and seek out um the 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 kind of kind of knowledge and wisdom that you've put across today um 
that exists in our spiritual tradition as you mentioned like these are these aren't your words necessarily well, yeah, not well, it is it's it's your words but it's not your messaging yeah, right it's, it's, yeah, it's my understanding of our heritage it's it's all yeah. been there it's all been there in in our religion exactly yes but but no that's why i mean it, it's great that you're you're able and happy and willing to share that with us um and and i know that people will will benefit inshallah a lot from this conversation and and that we can have many more and that you don't take like four months to say yes before i ask you next time <laughs> it will be my pleasure it will be my pleasure it's it's an honor to be invited thank you so much um but but thank Thank you once again for sharing everything i feel like we are jumping off a cliff here we've ended very abruptly after you you kind of kept bringing us up but um you know it's been an hour and a half and and yeah we, we don't want to turn this into like a lord of the rings type um podcast yeah yeah so i think, um, yeah, yeah, I think it's good for i think people can continue the rest of it in, in you know with themselves i think we've given them maybe hopefully inshallah good food for thoughts or not and good, I'll be putting. Your, I'll, I'll put your experience. email address. I'll put your email address yeah. in the description so everyone yeah. can uh, just <laughs> have you as their as their mentor through this process. But no, thank you once again, uh, Sheikh Zio. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure. Uh, so that was my conversation with Sheikh Jawad. I'm not really sure um, how to follow that up. Uh, I, I felt like, as I mentioned right at the end of the conversation with him. Um, he, he, he kind of kicked it into the overdrive right at the end when he was talking about God and, and how we see external things in our life as our gods and how the Quran mentions this and actually it's just our kind of minds projecting uh, a, a, a version of perfection that we've once seen before kind of in our fitra when it comes to God and we're externally um projecting that onto other things and making them our kind of um our gods on this earth which is uh kind of kind of mind-blowing to be honest um, and then he said all right let's just end it there um but we had obviously gone on for quite some time um but yeah i, I think it's just a, a fascinating and interesting conversation all around um <clears throat> and I'm, I'm lucky to be, have been able to have it if, if i think that sounded right sorry i've been a long day um and, and also if, if you've been listening then i hope you have um taken away from it and and um and enjoyed the conversation please do get in touch and let us know if you have any feedback um the email address is editor at the muslim or salim at the muslim um we always value and appreciate feedback because it obviously informs the content that we create and how we can create better content um that's more relevant and more desired essentially by our audience um Finally, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, um, do please consider supporting the Muslim Vibe. Um, you can do so on the link which will be in the description. Um, even if it's like a one-off amount and you're feeling good because it's Ramadan right now and you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, these guys are you know, uh, fasting and still producing content and, and, and trying to do whatever they can, I, I think they deserve £5,000. Um, that would be great. Uh, but if not, then even a small amount, £10 a month, whatever it might be, um, would, would really um, mean a lot to us. And yes, that is it for uh, another TMV podcast. Um, I'm not sure what we have in store for next week. I haven't actually prepared or planned anything or spoken to anyone, but um, I, I, I do plan to, to release an episode next Sunday. Uh, let's see how that goes if this is the first time you're listening to a podcast or one of the few times that someone sent you a link and, and you've stumbled across our podcast uh 
do be sure to subscribe on on wherever you get your podcasts uh, just search for tmv podcast and also it would be really really great if on the apple apple podcast app whatever you can give us a five star rating and like a really nice review um because that would just be really nice and we would really appreciate it and obviously you love the muslim vibe podcast so it's, it's a no-brainer um i have rambled for long enough thank you guys for listening and we will be back soon i hope the rest of ramadan is a spiritually uplifting one and that hopefully there are some benefits um benefits that you can derive from this podcast that can help you in your journey of self-discovery and self-betterment um that's my my long-winded way of saying take care guys and stay safe